0: Um, now that we've had Joshua's devotions and the Sunday School a lesson. So <clears throat> the title to my lesson is Complacent or Committed. And um, there'll be time for, I want to give time for testimony afterwards, but the question I want to start with is, if you're here today and you're a professing Christian, Can you answer the question, what has Christ done for you? That's something that you can answer and that you have given thought to. I'm not looking for a cliche answer so much as I'm looking for specifically, what has he done for you? In 2017, a bus of Egyptian Christians was, was stopped by ISIS And 28 of them were taken out and systematically killed. And they were killed because of their Christian faith. And each one of them was asked systematically, will you renounce your faith? And each one of them said no, and each one of them was killed. Each one of them made a decision to remain faithful in that time of crisis in their lives here on earth. And the war on Christianity here in the States is not one of persecution in the forms of killing and torture, but rather one of promoting complacency and tolerance. Um, we have the opportunity here in this country uh, to shout the love of God from the rooftops, yet we often do not. And we can do it without fear or threat of death or harm to ourselves. Instead, we justify our actions, our feelings our vices, sins we are involved in, our attitudes, our complacency, by saying that we are living right in the eyes of God and we dare anyone that would challenge us differently by calling them hypocrites or radicals or whatever name we might apply to them to make ourselves feel good about where we're at and not have to listen to a challenge. And really what we want is we want to continue to participate in what keeps our inner self our humanly self, satisfied and happy. We create the illusion of righteousness by pointing to others and justifying ourselves against them in the way they made us feel. We justify our actions by what we say others did to us, either perceived or real. Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14 Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. It's often used as a cliche in our society, um, staying on the straight and narrow. You know, I was somewhere the other day, and somebody said that, and I kind of chuckled inwardly to myself um, that this person used that cliche, that analogy, staying on the straight and narrow, and it was in reference to something else, I don't remember what, and um, so when I read these verses again yesterday, you know, it came to mind, that conversation, and, you know, the world, um, the, the U.S. as a whole recognizes that, you know, the straight and narrow um, is kind of the right way to go, right? There's kind of a culture around that. But not many of um, the citizens of the U.S. actually live that out in their Christian lives in the way that they could. So often we think that we suffer by someone's perception of us. We suffer because someone doesn't agree with us or sympathize with our position, or heaven forbid, they might actually make fun of us in our position. And we call that persecution, or we call that um, trials for the faith, or we put different adjectives around this, but um, we use it as, oh, I'm being tested, or I'm being persecuted. This is not the same battle that rages on Christianity in the rest of the world. It is not how, by and large, Christianity in the rest of the world um, gets dealt with. The majority of the Christians in the world face isolation, imprisonment, expulsion, starvation, torture, and even death. While we here, we worry about our feelings and what people think about us. Here in America, the devil doesn't actually need to bring physical threats to us, because if he did, it might actually unite our courage to stand up and be true Christians, like we see Christians in other countries doing when they are persecuted. But rather, he prefers that as a country and a culture, we remain sedated by the things that we view as important, and caught up in the things that distract us from a devoted life of Christianity. be reading a little bit in Revelations. You're welcome to turn there if you like. Revelations 1 verses 12 to 17 to start with. John here describes what he witnessed. Revelations 1 verses 12 to 17. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as the flame of life. His feet like unto fine brass, as if they were burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength." And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. Actually, verse 18 here as well. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. John says here that he fell to the ground as if he were dead. He could not stand in the presence of the Lord in this moment. In this moment, John was a lot less concerned about saying Merry Christmas back to someone who said Happy Holidays to him in a shallow effort to put some points on the board. He was a lot more concerned about the sanctity and the deity standing in front of the Lord. The sovereignty of the I Am, the first and the last. Revelations chapter 4, I'll be reading it in its entirety if you want to turn there. Revelations chapter 4, verse 1. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne, in in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God." Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things for thy pleasure they are and were created. Do we live out our lives in a manner that befits the glory that is given to the God described, to God described here in this chapter four of Revelations. The honor and the praise that is worthy of the Lord. The Christians of this country oftentimes delegitimize this wholeheartedly as inconvenient or old-fashioned or oppressive when really they, we, or I are trapped in Satan's slavery, slaves to ourselves and our personal desires? Do we explain away the actions and attitudes we have towards others and forget our personal responsibility to the creator of heaven and earth? Do we point the blame and say, my mother, my father, my brother, my sister, my coworker they made me do this, and they're the ones, they're the reason that I feel this way. They're the reason that I am this way. They're the reason that I act uh, this way. When each and every one of us stands before the King of Kings, what will be on his lips is not the way we were treated, but rather the way that we showed up. Our personal responsibility to the actions that we performed and our reactions to others. The decision that we made whether or not to accept the Lord as our Savior. Will he say, well done, good and faithful servant, when we stand before him? So are we choosing Jesus and the life that he offers us? Or are we choosing a life of our wants and desires and feelings as we wallow in self-deception? Matthew 16, verses 24 and 26, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? For what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Do we really grasp and understand this concept that's being laid out here in Matthew 16? It's a denying of self and a following after with a fervor the things of Christ. It's in that that we find true profit and eternal life. Christ isn't looking for mediocre people, mediocre Christians to follow him. He's looking for committed, invested people that are seeking him with all of their heart and all of their ability. John 12, verses 24 through 26. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. And if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Jesus is saying here very simple concept we should be able to understand with seeds as we plant them. But unless we die, we die to self, we cannot produce fruit for the kingdom. This is a dying to self of our personal wants, our personal desires, our selfish passions, our pride, our prejudice, to leave all of that, to accept and to serve him who is the spotless lamb of God. So this is about the end of my message, it's really short today, but my challenge is this. You know, what has Christ done for you? Can you speak to that? Is it recognized by the world around you? And what are you doing on behalf of Christ? Are you all in, or are you still playing victim? Are you playing victim in the game of charades and your self-righteous pride of self? Do you shy away from the pain of commitment to Christ because you perceive the cost is too high and you remain in the payoff of preservation of self-image, <clears throat> getting to play of the victim, living the life you want, self-righteousness? So are you complacent or are you committed in your faith today? So I do want to open it up for a time of testimony. So, a few minutes if somebody has some thoughts or something they'd like to share before I turn it back over to Dave. Uh,
1: Thanks for your message this morning. Um, I've been thinking about something that's been going on in a little town called Wilmore, Kentucky the last 11 days, I don't know if you've all been following that, but here are, it started with 30 young people that stayed behind from a chapel service and decided not to be complacent with life anymore and commit to the Lord, and it's turned into a revival from people coming from all over, literally all over the world, to worship the Lord, because there's something going on in Wilmore, Kentucky that people want and they see and i was intrigued as i was watching an interview of the student body president and she encouraged high names important names of pastors and songwriters and bands to please stay away and let god work because people will she doesn't want people coming and nor does the president of wilmore of asbury college those names coming and it being about them and not about god And I saw something in that, and I was thinking about that again this morning as you were speaking. Uh, A a committed life isn't about making a name for ourselves; it's about making a name for God.
2: We have also been following some of that, what's happening with the revival in Asbury and it's been a real challenge to me just to see the commitment um it, it just challenged my own heart what am I doing am i committed to do whatever god has called me to do in this life am i committed to make a difference in people's lives and to point them to jesus it's just been encouraging and uh, on the same I guess we were just talking a little bit on, on the way here about you know, how the devil is trying to throw some wrenches in, into that whole thing and make a bad picture and make, make God look bad. And I was like, I was just, we were praying against that spirit. And he, you know, he wants to do that wherever there's a good thing happening, whether it's in our families, in our churches, wherever we're at. He always comes and tries to, to make it a bad picture To bring God down and we just I think we just need to pray um, even that for our own little church you know he he wants to kill steal and destroy and I just I pray against that that spirit that wants to come in and, and do that so I just I we were we've been encouraged just to see the hunger and I've been challenged do I have a hunger like that for Jesus to be to spread the gospel to the lost there are people dying around us even even now so yeah, I was I've been challenged Lydia has been challenged with that whole thing and its it's encouraging to see that people are still hungry for the real truth and also I would like to ask for prayer for tomorrow my surgery that's coming up and um, just remember um, me and the doctors that are the surgeon that is gonna be in charge God is ultimately in charge. So I trust him. Thank you.
0: Okay, if there's no one else, Dave, I'll turn it over to you.